Hey everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind and I am here with Matt Johnson from PursuingResults.com. Matt, really appreciate you coming on the show today. I'm super excited to be here. Awesome, Matt. I'm super excited to have you here because as we were just discussing off air, you specialize and have experience in a lot of things that are really uh, important for me right now. So, I, so I'm selfishly excited to have you on and, and also because I'm sure you have a, a lot of other cool things to say. But for those who haven't heard of you or PursuingResults.com, can you tell us a little bit more about who is Matt Johnson and what are you working on these days? Yeah. So I run an agency. We produce podcasts. We, we basically sell one thing to one type of person, uh, which that's a, I'm sure we'll dive into that stuff. But uh, essentially we produce like a, it's a fully turnkey, zero hassle podcast production company, specifically for business coaches, experts, uh, and influencers. So these are the people that know how to grow businesses in very, very small lucrative niches. And we come alongside and basically book all their guests, do all the back-end promotion and the production to pull off a weekly podcast so that they can have an amazing show where they just show up and have the conversations and then we do all the rest of it. Uh, and that's all modeled off of basically what I built for myself when I got into podcasting four years ago. I built, uh, built a team to do that for me. So, so we essentially package that up and sell it to uh, the clients who, who really need that to where it actually helps them build a six or seven figure coaching consulting business. Amazing. And, and yeah, I can imagine how busy I'm sure you guys are with the prevalence of the coaching consulting uh, community these days. Yeah. Have you been doing that forever? And, and maybe the better question to ask is, is how did your professional career start out? Really interested to learn about how you got to where you are right now. Yeah, so I, I'm not your classic entrepreneur. I wasn't selling candy uh, for a profit when I was 10 years old. Like I love right. those stories and I love those guys and some of them are my clients. Uh, I was not that guy. Uh, I was a pastor's kid. I was going to be a missionary. The, the, I, the plans changed and I, I chased uh, being a pro musician for about five years and then I decided, okay, I need to get serious and, and build like my ideal lifestyle. So four years ago, I was just some dude working for a digital marketing agency in Nebraska. Uh, and I got offered a promotion. And along with that promotion came the offer to come out to San Diego and work directly for the CEO. So I, I took that. Um, and the defining moment of my life so far, at least for all the, the good things that have happened since then, was I can remember sitting at this restaurant overlooking the ocean in San Diego and the CEO just asking me, like, what do you want? And I basically just laid it out. I said, this is, this is the lifestyle I want to live. I want to work no more than four to five hours a day. You know, this is what I want to make per year. Uh, I want to be able to still work on music in my spare time and have the time and the mental energy and the capacity to put, you know, into that. Uh, but I want my income and a lot of my impact to come from a business. Like I, I, want to, I want to make marketing my profession and I want to build something that will fund my lifestyle while I, while I leave a legacy. Um, and like over the past few years, I've, I've built that. Like I, I can remember sitting, you know, flash forward, maybe two and a half, three years later, sitting in a very similar restaurant overlooking a different area of the beach in San Diego with the same guy, my ex-CEO, who at that, that, that point was a client and one of my best friends. And we're basically just looking at each other and going, hey, you did it, you know? Um, right. So yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been surreal. Uh, but podcasting has, has literally changed my life. Like I can honestly say, 
that the, the single podcast that I started and all the good things that have happened were a direct result of that. Every single relationship I have uh, in life and business right now is all driven from podcasting. Uh, it's, it's really completely turned things around. So, so I can, you know, like a few years ago, I was that person leaving a company to go freelance and go solo. And, uh, and now I'm at a point where I run the agency in about a half a day per week. And the rest of my time I, I do, you know, uh, I podcast interviews. Um, I'm wrapping up my first book. I'm a couple chapters away from finishing the rough draft. That'll come out in a couple of months uh, and really setting the business up for the next stage. And, uh, and so everything that I do outside that half a day is optional, number one. And number two, it's building for the future. It's the long-term uh, playing the long game. Right. And, and there's so much in there that I can't wait to dig into. But I, I first want to know, Matt, when you sat down with the CEO that first time uh, overlooking the water in San Diego and you told him, this is what I want to do. This is how much I want to work. What was his answer to that? <laughs> uh, his answer was good. Let's do it. It's, it's entirely possible. And I know exactly how to do it. Oh, wow. Because my yeah. expectation was like, if you think about most corporations, the CEO would, in my head, laugh at you and be like, you can't do that while you're working for this company. You know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> that's hard to accomplish as an employee, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it is. Uh, and I think, it, you know, at that time, he, he just, he doesn't, he doesn't have a scarcity mindset and it's hard to find those people, but the, there's, there are a lot of them out there. And yeah, his, his mentality was, look, if I, if I help you get what I want, you're going to help us along the way, get what we want. And that's exactly how it happened. Uh, he was actually one of my first clients as a quote unquote solopreneur uh, he came back to me after I had left the agency and started my own and had started a couple of podcasts and was running them in a certain space that we were all kind of playing in, like a, a niche that we were all in. Mm -hmm. And he said, look, I want to break my agency out of my niche that I'm in and get into four other industries. Can you help me launch podcasts in those four other spaces? And, and so I did. And that became a big success story. And uh, it was really the driving force behind why I decided that to really go deep on that specialty. Mm -hmm. because it works so well, but he was the one that really saw that possibility and, and came to me afterwards, uh, you know, three or four months into it when it was just working like gangbusters and said, look, man, like you got to, like, this is it. Like, this is what people want. This is what people need. You should really consider just, you know, paring down what you're doing and getting into this one thing, which he was absolutely right about. At one point I looked up and realized I was in four different startup businesses. Right. <laughs> Which is, which, which is which is fairly common for most solopreneurs, right? We see all these yes. opportunities, we get all excited about them. Um, but the other thing, I, I want to go back a little bit further, Matt, because it sounds like, I mean, a, it sounds like the CEO is 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 a great guy, and that you had a good relationship with him. Mm -hmm. How did you get to that point? And and what I mean by that is, how did you start out with that agency? Uh, how did you even get into marketing to begin with? Coming coming out of music and and you know, the, the religious background and stuff like that. Well, it's, it's funny how everything kind of comes full circle, to be honest. Uh, right. When I look back at it, it, it all contributed. Uh, years and years ago, I started a real estate team uh, and then shut it down during the crash. But the, the parts that I loved from that experience were the marketing and the team building. So flash forward years later, while I'm building my, my so-called, you know, music career, I was kind of teaching myself how to do just the mechanics of marketing, you know, building WordPress sites and figuring out social media and a little bit of email marketing and stuff like that. Um, those two things are what set me up to get the job at the agency. The, the religious background, the comfort with public speaking, the, the really, really deep, like abstract conceptual thinking that it takes to, you know, that I kind of learned from my, from my dad being a pastor and growing up around that stuff. 
that gave me the ability to connect with really smart, influential people like business coaches and experts because they're deep thinkers. Mm -hmm. So even though I wasn't anywhere near as successful and really had no business being on a podcast with them by all other indications, the fact that we were both deep thinkers, voracious readers and all this stuff, um, I started to notice a flip in people's like relationships with, and how they related to me. And the CEO of that agency was one of the first ones where once they found out I was, I had these certain things in common, like, you know, reading a ton and, and thinking, thinking deeply and really like just trying to soak up and absorb as much as I can and learn as much as I could. And then really paying attention and implementing that really successful people respect that. Now, I didn't realize that earlier in life, I probably would have gotten along a lot further if I connected with people like that beforehand. Um, but once I realized it, I like dove right in and then I used podcasting to like put the, put the gas pedal on. But that's kind of what helped build those, like those initial relationships. And then as I got to know them better and they got to know me better, and then as my agency started to take off, um, that respect level grew. And then other people in the audience were picking up on those social cues. Right. So they're, they're hearing how other people are relating to me, how they were starting to like, in, like defer to my opinions. They were starting to agree with me, you know, and like things like that. And I think we way underestimate, especially when it comes to podcasting or any type of marketing, I think we underestimate how much other people and our potential clients are looking at how other respected people treat us to find out if they should respect us. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not just about case studies and success stories that like that. That's part of why like a podcast like this is so important is like when, when you jump on with an influencer and they start to have a back and forth with you and they start to ask your opinions on things and you, you get to actually share and you like kind of form this bond and that influencer starts to respect you and the audience hears that they start putting you on the same level as that person. For sure. Yeah. And, and we'll definitely go deeper into the benefits of podcasting. Uh, I mean, I've experienced some I didn't even expect, but uh, that, that makes a ton of sense. And, and so what was the next step when the CEO was kind of on board? Like, where did you go from there? So from there, I connected with one of their clients who wanted to start a coaching company. And at the time I was running webinars for coaches, like all the key relationships for that agency. I was the one doing like public marketing, like jumping onto Google Hangouts back when that was a thing. Right. Um, and jumping you, were on, doing, you were doing, sorry to cut you off. You were doing all yeah. this through the agency. You had not yet going out on yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the way that I got out on my own was uh, I basically took a consulting position with this client of theirs who wanted to do something way beyond what the agency could do. They wanted somebody to like be a consultant to help them lay the foundation of their coaching, coaching consulting business. And so because I'd been doing all these webinars and had been really exposed and had been paying attention for a long time, um, you know, to that industry and the coaches in that space. And I knew the material I knew, I knew the market cause I was just really, really paying attention uh, to that niche. Uh, they had the confidence to bring me on as a consultant to help lay the foundation. Well, that, that now is a multi, multi six figure coaching consulting business run on live events and group like scalable group coaching. And the podcast ends up, you know, like being very, very successful in that small lucrative niche, uh, which I co-hosted for the first oof, two and a half to three years or whatever of that show. Oh, wow. So that was, that basically like smoothed out the transition. Like I, I feel like a lot of uh, solopreneurs go through a really rough transition. Either they leave and then they have to like try to make it work. 
uh, or they get fired or laid off or whatever, like Perry Marshall, I was listening to him the other day, like gets laid off from his engineer job and then has to kind of go figure it out. Um, I was able to make a really smooth transition to where I knew my living expenses were taken care of by the consulting gig. And then I was able to then start building on top of that and preparing to take on other clients. So I knew going out, like as soon as my, my, uh, you know, ex CEO at that time, as soon as I ran those four podcasts for them and he came to me and said like, you should really consider making this your one thing that, that became the goal. My goal stopped being let's monetize everything I can in this one small corner of the world and let's sell this one thing to business coaches and consultants who need it, like, which is still a niche. It's still, it's still a pretty tightly defined niche, but it wasn't just one industry. Uh, at one point I was in four different startups and they were all in the real estate space. So I kind of had this fantasy that, well, if you kind of come into my world, no matter what you end up doing, I'm going to make money on it. If you buy a low price product, I've got one. If you want a membership site, I've got one. If you want high, you know, group coaching, I've got a partnership for that. Mm -hmm. And I had all that stuff. And then I realized that was a horrible idea. <laughs> it was, I should not have been doing that at all. Um, and so I shifted gears and, and basically made it my, my goal to figure out what was that one package, that one thing that I was going to sell to one type of person. And then from then on, that became the goal. And I just worked towards that constantly streamlining, tweaking, and learning more about the service and streamlining the operations of it. And then really, really zeroing in continually on who is this best for and who should be doing this to the point where I make a sustainable profit off of it. Right. And how long did it take you from starting to really accepting that fact that you should be doing or helping people with this one thing? And the reason I ask is because, A, I think it's super important. The more niche you are, generally, the better. Yeah. And, and B, from personal experience. So I started my firm almost two years ago now. And for it took me about five or six months, I'd say, where I was at the beginning, taking on or going after any types of, uh, I'd, I'd practice in immigration law. I was, I was going after anyone who needed immigration help. Mm -hmm. And then after about two, three months, I realized that wasn't working very well. And, and so I picked these two programs, specific types of ap applications that were becoming very popular that I think would be here for a long time and, and tried both of them. And then after about a month or two of that, one kind of showed itself as the clear winner. And ever since yeah. then, I've only been doing that. I've been doing that one thing for about a year and a half now. So I'm fully on board with that strategy. I'm curious how long it took you to come to that realization and, and what happened once you made that realization? You know, it's funny you mentioned that. It, it might have been around the same time frame, maybe a hair longer for me, but yeah, it wasn't long. I think I started my podcast in, uh, I don't know, March of 2015 or something like that. My first show was called Real Estate Uncensored, which I still run. And then I think it was maybe four or five months later when my that ex CEO came to me to, uh, to launch those shows. And then within three or four months, we, we knew like we really had a package that would work. And then it was just a matter of, okay, what do you price it at? Who's the ideal client? You know, is it like a weekly podcast or biweekly or once a month? Like what's the frequency? In other words, like how much, which affected all the operations of it, you know, mm -hmm. so really it wasn't too, too long. Um, yeah, probably six to eight months start to finish before I figured out, okay, I need to be doing this one thing. And now just the question is, what does that one thing look like? So yeah, right. I think it was, yeah, not, not too much longer than, than where you were. And, and, it, and it is a race, I think, but it's not a race with other people. It's not a race with other, it's just a race to, to, to kind of find the right thing. And so there's nothing wrong, I don't think with, I, I mean, I call it the, the figure out, the figured out stage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's the stage where you throw a lot of mud against the wall and you see what sticks. Like if you hadn't gone through that process of 
practicing in a few different areas, you might not have come across that thing that you end up specializing in. So there's nothing wrong with that stage. Uh, I think the thing that's wrong with it is people either think that that's the right thing to do and they stay in that, that throw the mud against the wall stage for a lot longer than they have to. Um, or they just let themselves stay trapped there out of fear, you know, fear right. of niching down fear of like really picking a, a specific niche that will serve them, not knowing how to evaluate it strategically. Uh, and then being afraid that once they, once they choose it, that they're locking themselves in. Uh, I had a, a consultation yesterday with a gal who hit the nail on the head. She's like, well, if I, if I go after this niche, am I pigeonholing myself? And I said, yes, but that, that's a good thing. <laughs> like pigeonholing is a good thing. Uh, it's actually very considerate to our clients because they, they need to know very, very quickly what we do, who we do it for, and whether they're right, uh, like a good fit for it. And so the more we pigeonhole ourselves, uh, the better. It makes us easier to understand and easier to say yes to. Absolutely. And I, and I found, so I was thinking just like her at the beginning, probably most of us, you know, think, well, that's so limiting. I'm going to have to turn down all this business. The other thing that I learned, maybe not right away, but especially in the last six to 12 months is that it makes sales a lot easier because you get on oh, a call God, yeah. or, or you're emailing with someone. And I mean, I've done this thing 80 plus times now. So I, you know, you've seen it from almost every angle. You can answer almost every question. You have the the most specific testimonials you can get because it's the exact oh, problem. Yeah. And uh, it just, it, it makes everything easier. And, and I think what I want to transition into from there is what did you then do? Because what really stuck out well, one of the things that has stuck out that, that's come out so far is now that you spend half a day on it. So <laughs> I'm really interested to hear how you got to that point, uh, especially as someone who's really interested in operations, automation, uh, mm -hmm. all that stuff. So I'm really curious to hear about that. Yeah. And it was funny. I like, I had to get out from under my, my mentor, the guy I used to work for, uh, to even figure this out. But I figured out that one of my strengths is, is systems building. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so I started to flex those muscles and, and really enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm good at uh, sitting myself down and asking myself, how, how did I do this step by step? And then figuring out, okay, where are the decisions that I'm making along the way? And if I had to, if I could make those decisions on the front side, then what resources would I need to give to somebody else so that they could do that same checklist or same process that I just did without needing me throughout the process. Like there might be some things they need me at first, but if I make all the key decisions up front, you know, what else would they need through the process so that they can basically do the same thing that I'm doing? And of course there's some systems where other people are just flat out better. So like for me, I mean, I can edit audio. I, I released an album where I mixed and mastered everything, but that doesn't mean I'm good at it or fast at it. So right. there was a time when I edited all of my own audio. But when I went to hire somebody, I didn't turn over my system. I went to, you know, I found somebody in Nashville that, you know, edited podcasts and audiobooks for major publishers and said, help me. <laughs> and, then, and then he built, I helped him build the system for what we do. And, and he still runs our, our audio production to this day. Um, so it's not like we have to build all the systems ourselves. So we'll say that. It, it's great if you're that way naturally. It does help. But I think um, it's, it's a combination of, to trying to document everything you can, which takes some work up front. But the way that I think about systems is they're a little bit more of an investment today, but it makes tomorrow easier. Definitely. You know, every yep. time I build a system, it makes tomorrow easier, not just on me, but on the team. So once I have systems in place, then I could start bringing 
people in. Now, the real thing that I think trips people up, because uh, I just hopped on the phone um, a couple weeks ago with a guy who was in this position, actually two of them, it's funny, in the last, just in the last two weeks, I've had really long conversations with two different people who were kind of solopreneurs that thought they were ready to scale. But when you really look at what they were scaling up, they were scaling up a model that was barely profitable for them as a solopreneur. It doesn't scale up when you start to bring other people in. And that's what really trips people up is it's not just about the operations. It's not just about the systems. It's are you serving the right clients in a small lucrative niche to where you can afford to charge what it takes to bring other people into the business and you still make a profit. And then the profit has to be worth the risk and the headache, you know, uh, like as you, you're, you're talking about bringing on a contract lawyer, you can, you can write out all the systems for them, but you're still going to have to manage. You're still going to have to make sure that they do the work the way that you want it done. And you, either you're going to have to handle all the client communication or you're going to have to let them in on it, which is a risk, right? That's mental burden on you. So where, where a lot of freelancers and solopreneurs get tripped up when they start, you know, kind of subcontracting with other people to help them in their business is a lot of times they'll find they're not charging enough on the front end to actually bring other people into the business and still make a profit that's worth the mental burden to them of not doing everything themselves. Right. So, so do you have maybe two or three pieces of advice for, um, people to kind of figure out when they're at that right phase or how to get to that right uh, position, uh, which is, you know, finding the one thing that you're doing and, and charging enough for and that you are in a position to start scaling in? Well, I think it's, it's really hard to tell when the right time is because uh, I, I guess a stock answer for that is you're too busy. There's more demand on you than you can fool. That, that, that's always a good thing. Uh, ideally, there's enough demand that even if you raised your prices, there'd still be demand. And that, that's the real key is a lot of freelancers and solopreneurs, they build their, their business initially off of doing things for less than their competition, which is why people choose them. Nothing wrong with that. But as long as it's clear, the goal should not be to build a business based around being cheaper than somebody else. The goal is to deliver more value than your competition is to be different than your competition. And that's, that, that can be, you know, the, the faster we kind of set that as our goal, the more our unconscious minds start to look for those things, those ways to be different. And, and we want that. We want that, we want that searching mechanism, that, that spotlight searching, <laughs> I'd like to constantly be on, uh, always looking for ways to get clients better results, do things faster, cheaper, easier, better, uh, so that we can charge the same or more than our other clients. So I think one of the key questions is like at that to kind of know where you're ready to, to start bringing people into the business is could I double my fees and still have clients signing up to work with me? Hmm. And if not, why not? You know, what, what separates me? So, so I've doubled, well, I've, well, uh, yeah, I've doubled my fees twice. Once because we weren't doing the frequency of the podcast service that we needed to. Uh, so we doubled the fee and turned it from a, every other week into a weekly podcast service. Mm -hmm. Then I looked at that and said, okay, well that, that's the formula. That's what works, but now we need to be profitable. So then I doubled it again, right? So we're two grand a month and, um, and they, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the only way to run it profitably. And then I had to go back and say, okay, now if the only way that we can build a profitable, sustainable business is we charge two grand a month for a weekly podcast, who gets a 10 X ROI from that? Right. Now that shrinks the market even further that, that eliminates the people who just want to start a podcast. It eliminates the people who 
want to build an audience and think they're going to be in the next Joe Rogan and sell books, right? Like it, like it just eliminates a lot of the people, but it leaves the, a small lucrative niche in my case of people who have a higher ticket offer. They themselves are serving affluent clients. They are affluent clients. Not only do they have the money, but the money makes sense on paper. When they pay my company two grand a month, they get a 10 X return out of it because their business is set up in such a way that the podcast does exactly what it's supposed to do. And it creates demand and they have clients signing up and those clients are paying them three grand, you know, four grand, five grand, you know what I'm saying? So, so I had to like, I had to kind of work backwards from, okay, if I doubled my fees, then what does that do to who my ideal clients are? Well, then that shrinks the market of who my ideal clients are. And I have to get better and I have to build a service that's worthy of those like ideal clients. But it all comes from that one decision to sell one thing to one person and do it profitably. So it's just like what I think that's the real key is just the, like making that decision, which you've made to really specialize and focus on one area. And then it starts to have these kind of cascading, really, really good effects. It's like, it's a virtuous cycle of good things, good questions, good, clear thinking. And it leads you to a place where you have a service that's profitable and simple for you to deliver delivers massive value to the client. So they're super happy while you're super happy and everybody's happy. It's a win-win. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's giving me a lot, a lot to think about right now too, which is, which is great. Uh, yeah, Matt, I'm, 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 well, so, so right now, as I said, I, I, I'm bringing on, I've brought on a contract lawyer and the thinking still in my head right now is any work that I still do myself, I keep the vast majority of cash, right? The, the cash comes to my mm. pocket. Any work sure. that I begin to outsource, I'm obviously paying a cut to, uh, to that contractor. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm in a position right now where I'm, I'm starting to scale. I'm, I'm implementing some content marketing strategies, uh, some other sales tactics offering, starting to offer a second, like a fault, like an add-on service that I think will really help with revenue. Mm -hmm. And so the trade-off then becomes, well, do I keep doing the majority of the, of the file work, the client work, let's call it myself and, and, and keep the bank account happy? Or do I start, uh, I, I, I think the, pro the answer is probably in the middle here somewhere, but do I start giving the contract lawyer a lot more of that work? Uh, sacrificing a few dollars, and but hopefully getting a, a more powerful sales and marketing engine going uh, to to scale up in the long run. Well, let, let me ask you this: Do you do you feel like you have a a signature kind of unique process for how you work with that one immigration area and what the end result is? I, I have the whole thing documented, so I, I have uh, I have guides and templates for. 95% of the process and uh, I've already begun kind of passing that on to the, to the contract lawyer, bringing her into the system so that um, she can learn it and uh, work as, as efficiently as I can. Got it. Well, that, that's awesome. That's a, that's a very difficult place to be in. Uh, because most people don't get there to the point where even, they even document their system. So they don't get the opportunity that I'll, that I'll mention, which is like when you're at that point and you have your operations systems documented, there's, there's, there's two ways to kind of take advantage of having a signature system. Number one is you've got the ability on the operation side to bring other people into it a lot more easily, faster, and cheaper, mm -hmm. which means that you're not paying as much to them to do the work as a client is paying you to do the work and you keep the spread. So that's number one. Number two is if you've got the signature system documented and it produces like a specific point A to point B result, then 
you can start, you can kind of brand, you can do marketing and branding around that signature system and start raising the value of that. And you start to build kind of equity in the system rather than Josh, rather than Matt. Yeah. Right? So people come in and they don't pay for you. They pay for the system and they pay for the result. And then you can start to like raise your fees on that. That way, when you're paying somebody else to do the work, not only are you keeping the spread, but that spread starts to grow. Right. So, so point number one definitely relates to me a lot. Point number two, I think relates to most businesses. In my case, the service I provide is, is an application. It's an immigration application for companies and the end result is a yes or a no, right? So immigration Canada will either approve it or they'll deny it. Mm -hmm. um, the way it's done doesn't actually matter that much as long as you get them the yes, right? So there's no like, better approval. There are quicker approvals. So some, like one, <laughs> right. one, of the, one of the benefits uh, that I think that I provide to my clients is I work quicker than a, than a law firm, right? You work with mm -hmm. a big law firm, you got to deal with the secretary or the lawyer might take four days to get back to you. Um, I'm a small shop. I, I respond personally to all my clients within 24 hours and quick affordable services. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I can definitely kind of preach that a little bit more, but I, I can't really I can't really focus on the system and, and say like I have the best way of getting your approval because they don't really care if it's as long as they're getting the approval, you know what I mean? At, at a reasonable price and within a reasonable amount of time, then mm -hmm. the rest of it, like they shouldn't even know about, right? My, my approach is that I want to tell my clients as little about what I'm doing as possible because they don't care, right? I don't, they don't want to learn the legal stuff. I'm, they're paying me so that I can take care of all that stuff for them. So yeah. I don't know if that sheds some more light or if you have any, any more thoughts it, on that. It does, yeah. So there, there's a really great book by David Maester called The True Professional where he lays out like the different types of professional service firms and he kind of relates it to healthcare, like starting with the pharmacy and then moving all the way up to like the therapist where it's highly customized and you're paying for the therapist's time versus showing up at a pharmacy and getting a, a product or, or have it like a nurse who's a well-trained, but it's systematic routine work that's very well-known and the, and the end result is very predictable. And so if you're kind of in that space, um, you mentioned that you've got some ancillary services, which is awesome because that, that's exactly what I would look to and it's exactly what I did. So in my particular case, you could look at podcasting very, very similar. Like we, we can't control the audience. We can't control a lot of things. So we really, all we can control is the quality of the work product that we put out. And for our clients, we crank out a podcast episode every week, week after week after week. And so we could get caught up in that, that perception that we're, we are uh, a pharmacy. Like we dispense the pills, like, Hey, we give you the formula and you dispense the pills. So what I had to start doing to like raise my fees is add something to it, which is, uh, in our in our particular case, it's strategy. It, it may not work the same way for you, but in our case, at least, uh, we can if we if we control the branding and the strategy of the show on the front end, it does have a chance to be much much more effective, even though it's still the same, just rhythmic weekly publishing. It's still just pills, but like right. it, it, in a pharmacy sense, it would be like selling. Like, hey, you may think you know what needs to go into the pills, but we'd like to help you do that, and because then we can make the pills more effective. Um, so like in your case, I would think about, I think like every, every solopreneur, uh, like really everyone that's in business, we solve a problem. 
Uh, hopefully that's a big valuable problem for somebody else because then it's a lot more lucrative to solve it. But let's say we solve a problem. There are smaller problems that lead up to that. And then there are bigger problems that are next in line after the problem that we're solving. So let's say you build a website for somebody. Well, the next problem they're going to have after that is, oh, my website isn't converting into sales. Mm-hmm. So that one of my favorite examples, uh, I, he, I ran across him because he's a friend of a friend. There's a guy in Santa Cruz, California, who works at a bunch of Silicon Valley, like startups and stuff. And he built a web design business, but it's not, they don't just deliver design. He interviews their best salesman for the company and builds the entire website around the, the words, the copy, the persuasion that has worked for their top salesperson. So not only is he solving the problem of, hey, we have a startup company and we need a website, he's also solving the problem that comes after that, which is, hey, now we have a website and it's not converting. And he takes both of those problems, packages them together into one thing and goes, hey, I know you think you need a website. You don't just need a website. You actually need a website that converts. And that's what we do. Um, so like with your ancillary services, depending on what you're selling, that's the first place I would look is you solve the problem of submitting the application and then the yes or no is kind of out of your control, but you can provide amazing service and communication like in that process. The question is what happens when they say yes and what happens when they get a no? What, what are the problems that are created by those two scenarios? And you might pick out just one of them and go, okay, well the biggest problem is they say yes. And now the company goes, great. We got somebody approved. Now, now what? What's the next problem? There might be an opportunity to step in there and say, great, we've already done this and we've helped so many people through this process. We know exactly what the challenges are and we're happy to consult with, consult with you on that and make sure that you have a system for handling that once you get the yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you've got my wheels turning. I mean, the first, we'll, we'll talk about this off air, but the, the first thing that pops in my head is something like relocation services, right? Because they're mm-hmm. sponsoring these foreign workers. We get their approval. Mm-hmm. The worker then has to move to Canada and get settled in. So that's the first thing that pops oh, up. Interesting. I'm going to have to yeah. on that a little bit more. So Yeah, and it may not be something that you offer yourself. So Relo services, they might exist. But let's say you contracted and you had like your preferred vendor or something like that. Like you yeah, have some own. affiliate or, or yeah. referral partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I appreciate that, that custom advice. <laughs> yeah, so... This is just flying by, Matt, but I want to get into podcasting for obvious reasons. A, uh, I host a podcast. B, it's what you specialize in and and have a lot of experience with. Um, I've loved it personally. I mean, I've had more fun doing it than I expected to. Uh, What was it that that drew you to it to begin with? Uh, I love the battle for ideas. There is nothing more fun to me than a conversation like we just had where we're thinking about a business that only exists in the mind. It's a service business and everything that's being sold is an idea and everything that drives whether somebody signs up is an idea. It's a belief. You know what I'm saying? I love that. That's part of the religious upbringing. I'm extremely fascinated by what causes people to change their beliefs and become converted to being a follower of a certain belief system. Um, Gary Vee is a great example, right? I mean, Gary Vee is like a cult leader and he has lots and lots and lots of acolytes out there and they all believe the same things that Gary believes and his word is gospel. Uh, I'm endlessly fascinated by that. That's one of the things that I love about podcasting and I enjoy helping my clients be that person for their niche and build a following of people that agree with them and believe the same things that they do. So I love that. I, lo- I love the podcasting is one of those things where I can be having not such a great day and jump on a podcast with somebody and have a conversation like we're having and come out of it feeling amazing, right? So the actual business itself, the act of podcasting 
makes my life better. So there, there's all that. And then I, I like to say that podcasting is the new networking. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. I, I could talk about that for about five hours straight. So, so don't let me go too far down. But I mean, for, for me, one of the reasons that podcasting changed my life is because it introduced me to the key relationships that then drove everything else. Um, a quick example is my own business coach that I've been working with since last summer. He and I have been friends for gosh, two and a half years. I met him because I reached out and booked him on one of those podcasts I ran for my old CEO. Mm -hmm. And he's the one that sent me my first David Maester book, which then I went down the David Maester rabbit hole and read everything I could and, and learned a lot about how law firms operate, like way more than any podcaster should about how law firms operate. Um, right. I learned because he sent me that book and I met him through podcasting. He's now one of my best friends and my, and my coach. So it's just stuff like that. Like it's hard to, you can't, it's hard to even quantify for me the effect of podcasting because my entire business and life is based around it and all the key relationships in my life all came from podcasting. Uh, and most of my friends and fellow influencers and clients can pretty much say the same thing. Um, it really is like, I don't have to go around and fly all over God's creation to meet clients. I don't have to do what my old CEO did and buy bottle service at Hakkasan and stay out at, in Vegas at an, after an event till four in the morning, which sounds awful, uh, by the way. Um, I, that yeah. is not my game and uh, I would have a hard time doing it. Uh, I'm a natural introvert. You know, I can turn it on when I need to, but it's in short bursts. And uh, uh, yeah, like if I had to build a business like that, it would be torture. Uh, and podcasting allows me to to show up to stuff like this and have awesome conversations and meet really cool people uh, and build relationships that would be tougher than, uh, than meeting somebody in person after they get off a stage and speak. Uh, this, the connections that are formed on a conversation like this are, are a lot deeper than even meeting somebody in person a lot of times. Absolutely. I think the two things that really connected with me, uh, number one, podcasting is the new networking. I've never heard that before. And, and that's really interesting. And, and I think it's totally right. Uh, it's, and it's such a, a personal, authentic way to do networking because you're not just sending a few emails or whatever back and forth. I mean, you and I have gotten to know each other more than probably most people would over, you know, like a 15, 20 minute mm -hmm. coffee or, or a quick five minute chat at some networking event where people are constantly <laughs> pushing cards at you. Uh, yeah. so, so, so that's a really cool idea that I definitely agree with. And, and number two is when you said podcasting can kind of turn your day around, I have a hundred percent had days where maybe, maybe you just didn't sleep well, maybe stuff's going wrong with my firm, you know, just having a bad day. And then I look at my calendar. I'm like, Oh, I have to I have a recording at 1 PM. <laughs> Not that excited. And then you get on and the person's awesome and you have a great chat and, and it turns your whole day around. So I yeah. totally agree with that too. What would you say to people who are thinking about starting one, but haven't yet? Maybe they have some doubts or maybe they don't have a business per se to start one around or, or maybe they do. What, what would you say to people who haven't pulled the trigger yet? Yeah, well, my advice on this is probably different than, than what I did. I, I jumped in and started a podcast first before I really had anything figured out. And what I ended up doing was built a podcast that was very popular in its niche and um, was very tough to monetize. I mean, it was, you know, it was okay. At one point, we, we, generate, you know, we generate a few grand a month and stuff like that, but not, nothing to write home about. And what I learned from that is that I should have done what one of my clients did. I should have gotten featured on every podcast I could and gotten a lot of reps under my belt, talking about what I was learning, what I was doing, what I was doing for clients, stuff like that. And it would have helped me really refine and sharpen my point of view and my, my own clear and compelling idea that I wanted to share with the world a lot faster. 
Um, so that's my best advice for anyone, especially who's a solopreneur, is you don't have to launch a podcast to get a lot of the benefits of podcasting. Uh, get featured first, which by the way, you don't have to do yourself because I've got a whole training for virtual assistants and freelancers to help you with that. So you could just hire a freelance person for you know, 10, 12, 15 bucks an hour to, to do all the pitching, all the scheduling, all the promotion, all that stuff for you. Um, and so you can just show up to conversations like this and have an awesome time and walk away and everything else happens behind the scenes. So that, that you can do right away. And I would encourage everyone to just get featured like one, one podcast interview a week. These are people who in, in your case, you, like you and I have both had that experience where you get off the phone and you end up working with that person, you know, after a podcast, mm -hmm. um, you probably also had people send you referrals after you've gotten off a podcast with them. I, I love to do that. It's one of strategic introductions behind the scenes are one of my favorite things to do. And there's lots of other people like that. You know, people that'll jump on and they'll interview you on the podcast and they'll go, you know, I really feel like you need to talk to so-and-so. I think you'd be good to, to work for them. And that kind of stuff happens all the time. And so I, to me, that's the best way uh, to do it is to start there. So I've got a training. Uh, it's at uh, pursuingresults.com slash training. Uh, and I did that with my, with my client who started the, the right way. Her first hire was somebody to pitch her on podcasts. So she's been on Entrepreneur on Fire, Social Media Examiner, Smart Passive Income, like all the, all the big ones in the entrepreneur space. And she can trace legitimately six figures in revenue to one appearance on, on wow. Pat Flynn's podcast. One single appearance. Yeah, that's, a, that's a big one it, for sure. It literally can change your life. Uh, yeah. So, like, uh, so we did a training with her on just kind of like how, how do you find the right podcasts uh, how do you find the podcasts that are going to kind of put you in front of the right audience of people? How do you pitch them? You know, how do you find contact info and how do you reach out? How do you make them your friend? Like how do you, how do you jump onto a podcast and make that person actually like you and want to have another conversation with you? Just stuff like that. It's all covered uh, in there. So that's at pursuingresults.com slash training. That's where I wish I would have started. And if I had to do it over again, that's what I'd do. Awesome. I, I might be hitting that link up after the show. Uh, Matt, what would you say then? So, so let's say we take a few steps forward. Someone, someone yeah. does that. They get their bearings. They get comfortable. They decide they want to start their own. Maybe they're a few months in and uh, things are moving, but not, maybe not growing as much as they'd like them to. What would you recommend to someone in terms of if they're looking to grow their audience uh, or maybe get better guests, you know, get more mm -hmm. listeners, all that good stuff? Uh, I think I, I love the 80, 20 principle. And I think that applies here as much as, as much as it applies everywhere. It really applies here. I think most of the problems with our marketing and client attraction and sales and whatever you want to call it, the process that starts with us connecting with someone and ending with us working with them. Uh, the main thing that drives that is the, the, the very small, thing that produces most of the results. And to me, that's having the right clear and compelling idea for what we do and why we do it and who we serve. Right. So as a solopreneur, there's, there's so much, like we're drowning in business. The problem is we don't want to specialize. We don't want to tell people, Hey, this is what I do. And this is what I don't do. This is who I work with. And this is who I don't work with. And one of the many side effects of that is things like our podcast growing slowly or we, we appear on a podcast and it just kind of rolls off people's backs and nobody reaches out afterwards. We talk to a client and they're kind of like, nah, okay, I'll think about it. You know, like all of, the, all of those things, it stems from the same core reason, which is we really haven't found that clear and compelling idea 
for why we are in business and what we do and the big valuable problem that we want to solve and who we want to solve it for. We haven't zeroed in on that to the point where when we say it to the right person, they go, oh, wow, I, I need to find out more about that. And one of the great examples I like to use is I've got a couple of, of friends and clients uh, who have both done something similar in the real estate space. They both built businesses in real estate that net them a million dollars a year that they run in one day a week. Wow. Now that is a clear, right? So they both have coaching businesses that teach other people how to do that. That is a clear and compelling idea. Once somebody hears that that's possible, even if their first reaction is that is complete and total BS, they still have to find out. <laughs> they still right. got to know. You know what I'm saying? Like once they hear that clear and compelling idea, they cannot go back. They cannot unhear it. Um, and the more that we specialize as solopreneurs and get clear and focused on who we serve and what we do and what problem we solve, like the more that we can put that down into a sentence, the, the more our audience sits up, if it's the right people, right? We don't need to attract everyone. We just need the right people to go, holy cow, where have you been? How am I just now finding out about you? We have to have another conversation. And, and if we're not getting that reaction, um, like, they were, like the, exactly what you said when I mentioned the, the pitch assistant course, right? Like, wow, like I need to check that out. Like I might be clicking mm -hmm. on that link myself. I, I used to get that all the time when I would talk about the podcast production service. Um, it, almost inevitably, the, the exact right types of people, when, I would, when we'd be on a, pod, a podcast conversation, I would just mention that to the audience and they would go, okay, now we need to have a conversation after the call. Right. You know? Yeah, right. that's, my, that's my best advice for that. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I have two more questions, Matt. One selfish, one not so much. The selfish one is, let's say I was looking or someone like me was looking to uh, continue to get really great guests and, and kind of like just continue growing and, and getting uh, guests with, with lots of followers that do well. And, and, and because one of the, I find the probably, well, one of the surprising benefits of podcasting is how much of your own growth you can see thanks to your guests, right? You have your guests on and then when you post a podcast, they're sharing, they're liking, mm -hmm. they're, you know, spreading it for you. Uh, what would you recommend for someone who maybe they're doing their podcast it is more of a side hustle, um, so time is limited, uh, but are looking to continue to get more awesome guests like yourself? Well, don't be afraid to pitch people that are maybe a little bit too big for the podcast. Uh, I reached out to the co-author of one of my favorite books when my podcast was brand new. Uh, and it's, it's the book Scale by Jeff Hoffman and David Finkel. Mm -hmm. So I invited David Finkel onto the show. He runs a multi, multi-million dollar coaching business and wrote one of my top five recommended books of all time. Mm -hmm. So when I reached out, I didn't sell him on, this is going to reach a huge audience. Uh, I told him who the audience was and who my email list was and it was why it was targeted. But mainly I sold him on the quality of the conversation. Right. Like, Hey, these are the things like, I'm a huge fan of the book. Here are the things that, that I would like to ask you that I think are more specific than you probably get a chance to talk about otherwise, because you're talking to this super niche audience that can handle it. And he was like, where do I sign up? Right. I mean, it's like and anything, right? It's like sales. It's, it, it is mm -hmm. sales. It is. Um, yeah. So just convince them of, of the value they will get from dedicating that time. Yeah. And we, we way overestimate like just, I mean, busy, busy influencers are busy and they're successful and yada, 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 but they do love having interesting conversations. And if so, if we can sell them on that, uh, we usually won't have an issue getting bigger influencers on our podcast. If we sell them on, 
the quality of the conversation. To me, that's the key. Now, once you're big enough, then you can just say, hey, I get 50,000 downloads a month. Would you like to come on my show? And they go, great, where do I sign? But until you're there, you just sell them on the quality of the conversation. For sure. For sure. That's good stuff. Matt, my last question is for those who are, maybe they're working a corporate job right now, maybe they're side hustling, they're, they're not where they want to be just yet. This is in general, uh, you can relate it to podcasting or you, you don't have to. What are two or three pieces of advice you would give to those people who maybe just, they aren't satisfied with where they are right now. Uh, maybe they're at the point where you were with that first conversation with the CEO in San Diego by the beach, uh, you know, kind of still figuring out exactly what they want and how, how, how to get there. Um, there are, I think three key questions for that stage that if you make it your mission to answer those three questions as fast as possible, you'll make a lot more progress a lot faster. So the three questions for the, like the figure it out, throw, get, throw the mud against the wall stage is number one, who do I most enjoy serving and spending time with? That took me a couple years to figure out. Uh, number two question is what is the one big valuable problem that they all have, right? Has to be, it has to be big and it has to be valuable. They have to be, they have to have the money to pay for it, be willing to pay for it. And they have to agree with you. That is a big, big problem that they need to solve now. And then what can I offer that would solve that big valuable problem at a profit? If you can figure those three things out, like who is it? What am I selling? How do I sell it at a profit? everything else is a lot easier and the people that don't want to stay in the solopreneur stage, right? Cause there's nothing wrong with staying there and then optimizing and living an amazing life and having outside passions. There's nothing wrong with that. You do not have to scale, but let's say you want to scale. You're not satisfied with where you're at and you want to grow. If you don't answer those three questions, growing is nearly impossible and you, it'll just be a struggle. And the only way it'll grow is just flat out hustle and working 80 hours a week. If you want to grow without that, those three questions are the key because if you can do that, then you can grow without hustle. You can grow by outthinking rather than outworking. Right. That's a, that's a great response, Matt. This has been really great, insightful in, in a few avenues, one for the podcast, two for the business, the scaling, all that good stuff. So I really appreciate you coming on. Where can people find you uh, if they're looking to learn more, get in touch, any of that good stuff? Yeah, for now, it's just pursuingresults.com. It's the best place to go. Uh, you can also just check out on uh, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and so forth. Uh, check out the podcast where I interview cool people like David Finkel, as well as do solo episodes where I really dive deep into the concepts like the clear and compelling idea uh, and and how to scale up. Because um, that, that is endlessly fascinating to me. I've talked to some of the smartest people I can get my grubby little hands on, and I've picked mm -hmm. their brains clean. Uh, so that show is called the UX podcast, like you to the power of X, the UX podcast. Very cool. Matt, thanks again for taking the time to come on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. I appreciate you as well. Hey everyone, Josh here checking in just one last time. Wanted to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. And if you want to keep getting more of the Solopreneur Grind content, make sure to join the email list. What I do is send three emails a week with additional content such as what's going on in the background of my solopreneur journey, insights I'm having on business, and updates when new podcast episodes like these come out as well. It's free. It always will be. The link to join is in the description of whatever podcast platform you're listening this to on. Really hope to have you on the list and continuing to share these awesome solopreneur journeys and insights with you as well. Have a great day and hope to see you soon.